What's going on, OTL fam? We are back. Podcast OTL style. And today, we have two friends at the table. One, which is no stranger, Mr. Tyler Ackerman. And to my left, who I met through Tyler Ackerman, two of the great runners that I now know. We have a man who is an ultra marathoner who has conquered, if you guys have listened to the podcast, you've heard about it before, the Moab 240, which means... This, this individual has run over 240 miles straight. And that is not the least of his achievements. He is the one and only Wes Plate. Welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, thanks a lot for inviting me, guys. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Local legend. Yes, I'm excited. So how we got here was, uh, we, I think we were doing a podcast with, with Tyler, and he had just finished his first 50-miler. And uh, he was like... Hey, there's this guy who he lives local, and I, I found him, and he does ultra marathon. I think he's done the Moab 240, and you should hit him up. We should get him on the podcast. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So we, we got in touch, and uh, you had to conquer the uh, Wonderland trails. That's right. And yeah. now we're here. Yeah. So it's good to have you, my friend. I always have a, a very large amount of respect for people who run long distances because I have not been, I won't say I'm not the person, but I have not been somebody who enjoys very long distance running. So I always say, like, I was the person doing the sports. You see somebody, like, on the cross-country team, like, jogging in place on the street corner. I'm like, what is what is wrong with you? Like, you know, there's, like, <laughs> sports, right? You know, there's, like, football, baseball you can play. You don't have to just run for no reason. But uh, but as I've, as I've grown older and as I've kind of learned a little bit about ultramarathon running, uh, I've started to learn just – I've had an appreciation uh, for what it takes to, in order to accomplish the task. Uh, it's not like there's somebody at the finish line who's giving you this massive trophy and hundred thousand dollars and but there's a a self-conquering aspect that comes along with it. So I'm excited to, to kind of dive into your story a little bit, but I, I just want to you know that I, I appreciate both of you guys at this table. <laughs> yeah, uh, one because I've seen Tyler and the journey that he's gone through in order to just to get where he's at now and knowing that it's just the beginning. Uh, but also there's it's always important to have people in our life that that show us whatever's next is possible, right. Um, so it's super good to have you. So obviously there was something that happened from you growing up to you running 240 miles like a savage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quite a bit happened between <laughs> those two points in time. Yeah. Came out the womb just on the <laughs> treadmill. Just right. That's right. So, so let's, let's go back. Let's see how we, how we got to that point. So you grew up locally. Yeah. I grew up in Marysville actually went to Marysville Pilchuck high school and you mentioned cross country I actually ran on the cross country team. But I was terrible. I was on the JV team and just, I was poor. Why? Why did you pick cross country? Uh, I did it because I was a sprinter. At least I thought I was a sprinter in track in the springtime. And I needed something in the fall to kind of get me in shape and get me going in, in towards spring again. And some of my friends were on the cross country team and they suggested it. And uh, so I did it as a way to sort of be in shape. And what I mostly got out of it was the camaraderie of the team. I mean, you... You mentioned in your intro about how, you know, running isn't a real sport, but man, of all the team sports I've ever been a part of or seen, the camaraderie of cross-country runners is something truly special. Mm, no um, I mean, because even poor runners like me, you know, get embraced by the, the guys who are, you know, on the J on the varsity team who are really good and, and, um, and who I looked up to. But I struggled with the, the distance running when I was younger because I was um, going after more sprinting type stuff. So I never really considered that running distances of any kind would be in my future. And of course, back then, cross-country races are what, like two, maybe three miles? 
So um, <laughs> I don't, like, I don't consider war, that yeah. to be much distance <laughs> anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I ran in high school and then I went to college and ran a little bit in college, but ran less. And the, the more I drank alcohol, then the less I ran. So my, I sort of had this inverse relationship happening with my health as, uh, as I discovered and, and alcohol became more accessible to me. Um, and I gained a bunch of weight and got out of college and started working. And, you know, my story is not uncommon from a lot of people where, uh, life kind of presents challenges, presents opportunities to deal with those challenges, but uh, the way you deal with the challenge isn't necessarily a healthy experience. So I was, I had a job in Seattle. I was uh, working hard, um, drinking a ton, smoking cigarettes a ton, you know, really not living my healthiest of life. Uh, but that was kind of where I was at at the time, just dealing with, with life and its stress. And um, that eventually grew to the point where, I guess in 2007, was when my my drinking needed to come to an end. So uh, my story isn't very uncommon for ultra marathon runners. I think that there's something about a person who becomes addicted to a drug or who um, really goes after like drinking or drug use in a hardcore way. That same motivator, I think it motivates us as runners mm. to also sort of go over the top and, and become addicted to that. But I, uh, I went to treatment um, in 2007 into 2008 at a, pl- at a local hospital uh, here in the Seattle area called Shake Shadle. Um, and uh, that's when my drinking stopped and my health re- journey started to begin. And at the time, I wasn't running because I was much heavier than I am now. I Over the course of the next few years, I ended up losing about 70 pounds. Good mm. for you, man. Amazing. And once I did that, it was much easier for me to consider, you know, <laughs> running again. Yeah. Not as painful. Because there was times when I'm like, man, I wish I could run again. I kind of miss it. And I wish I could be active. I wish my body didn't hurt. So I would try it. But it was pretty defeating to get out there and just have to move so much weight um, was just really difficult. And it mm. demotivated me almost instantly. So once the weight started to fall off, um, that's when I got more interested in running again. And then I've actually have a good buddy who, uh, this is, I think beginning of 2012, he showed me his Garmin watch and he's like, dude, check this out. This watch records like my, the route with GPS signals. And then I can take that information and put it onto this website called Strava and it shows you a map and then like your friends can see it. And I've always been kind of a, like a technology guy and, um, I like shiny objects. I'm like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. Like <laughs> yeah. I could run and then like see it on a website. Like that's kind of cool. Um, so that was a fun motivator for me to get started again. And so the combination of a healthier lifestyle, so this, this technological, technological motivator to, to get me out is when I started just to try to get healthy and get active again. So um, I had this route uh, that I would run. I think it was a mile to the end of the road and back. But at the time, I, there's no way I could run two miles. So I would just run to a telephone pole and then walk to the next telephone pole and then run to the next telephone pole. So I just alternate that, that way. And, of course, when I was running, I'm sure I was terribly slow. And um, But it was just a way for me to get out and move. And I didn't run a lot at the beginning either. I mean, it was I kind of go back and look at this same Strava history. And in 2012, I wasn't running very often. But I was running some. 
And then I think eventually I got myself to the point where I ran a 5K, but that might not have been for a year or so. Um, but, you know, it's just as I started to, you know, run a little bit more and get healthier, then it was it was possible for me to, to do things like a 5K, which seemed, you know, impossible when I first started. But right. it was just, just baby steps that all that really needed for me to get started. So that's kind of ha- how I dipped my toe into it. And then, of course, you know, there's a lot that's happened. We progressed from that. that. Yeah. So at, at Shikshadal, so you went in heavy, you know, obviously you're, you're seeking help because you don't want to be where you're at currently. So, I mean, I, I've never been to Shikshadal, but are there, is there like fitness available at these places? Is that like ways to kind of maneuver and and grow as you're there or is that something you just have to pick up like how does that work i don't remember any fitness opportunity when i was there um i think fitness and act and sort of being active was the last thing on our mind Mm. uh that that particular program for alcohol treatment it's fairly short it's like 10 days so you get in there you might have a day or two of detox and then you start in this program and 10 days later you're back home. Mm. Um, I think I did have a laptop with me. You know, they had said like you, you can do work from here if you need to. And so I might've done some work while I was there. I also started a blog while I was in there. I started a diary for myself. Cause I'm like, I know that by day 10, I'm going to totally forget day one. Yes. So I started a diary of the, ex- of the experience. And then maybe around day three of the diary, I'm like, hey, I think my dad might want to read this. So I start, I formatted it as a blog. And mm. then I think by the end of the experience, I'm like, you know, I think the world might be interested in this. So I made it a public thing. And um, it's actually a, it's every, about every year I am reminded that I need to update my blog, you know, let people know that, like, I'm still kicking out here. It's still not drinking. Yeah, I was just going to ask if you still kept uh, keeping up with that and if it's a little bit more running related. Like, what's Well, that's it. That particular blog is only about this experience of going through Shikshadal. So uh, there's there's been a couple times where the distance between – uh, posts of the blog, or maybe the same <laughs> distances I'm running these yeah. days. You know, I was like, <laughs> I, I, life gets going and I kind of forget to let people know that I'm still okay. Totally. Mm-hmm. So the, was there somebody along the way that, that you were inspired by that you were like listening to or saw do ultra marathoning that kind of introduced you into it? Or did you kind of find it like kind of organically? Uh, it was a bit of a, kind of a journey and an organic <coughs> thing. Um, the, there was an experience I can remember, I think it was at the beginning of 2014. So by this time I had been running, running almost for uh, two years. I was able to run five K's. Um, and, uh, I had just finished a, a trek to Machu Picchu. My dad and I did, um, a 10 day trek where we hiked uh, up and over a 15,000 foot mountain pass and did all this stuff. So your dad's a savage too. <laughs> he, he's a pretty <laughs> tough guy. Yeah, he, uh, he is. He's, he's always done hiking like ever since I was a kid. And I used to hate hiking cause he would drag us out for these, these hikes. <laughs> and Whether I, you like it or not, you're coming. And I think somehow I got, I got it in my head that I didn't like hiking. Um, I guess because I had to do it. Um, but he had invited me to do this trip with him to Peru and, and hike to Machu Picchu. And, um, and I, that was one thing that sort of like sparked something or there became a, like this catalyst in me because that was, I had to train for it, you know, um, 
just getting into Peru, you fly, we flew into a place called Cusco, which is like at 11,000 feet, just the city. It's so high up there. And mm. so the lack of oxygen, especially if you're going to then do a bunch of hiking, you kind of need to have some fitness and be prepared for it. So I trained for this particular trek and, um, then we, we did it. We had an ex amazing experience. And that kind of got me into this thing. Like, I actually really enjoyed being outdoors and doing this, this uh, multi-day journey on our feet. And then shortly after that, I was on a different flight. And my MO, I fly a lot because of work or various things over, the men, over these years. And I don't talk to people on airplanes. I just sort of do my thing, put my earbuds in or whatever. Even if I'm not listening to something, it's just a signal to the other passengers like, hey, you're, you're cool there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm cool here. But I was flying to L.A. Uh, for a, a job, and I happened to sit next to a guy who sort of engaged with me in conversation, and I decided to let my guard down and talk to this guy. And we started talking about running, and he starts telling me about um, this book called Born to Run, about the, these indigenous people in Mexico and how they run between their communities and how running is just a part of their life. And these ultramarathon runners from America went down there to run with them. And I'm hearing these stories from this guy, and I'm like, oh, this sounds amazing. And then I learned that the, some of the people involved in this story uh, were involved in the same um, uh, This American Life podcast episode, like my favorite episode ever called, I think it's called Chasing Antelope. It's like from 1996. It's super old. Wow. But it's, um, it's one of my favorite episodes. That's probably, that's probably too old, 1996. But anyway, something about antelope. It's a guy named Scott Courier. He tells this amazing tale of how the indigenous people would hunt antelope by running after them. And you'd think, well, antelope are super fast. Like, how can a human possibly chase an antelope? It's because antelope are not endurance runners. So an antelope will sprint, and then the humans will sort of like... just gassed out. Yeah, exactly. So this antelope sprints, the humans catch up, and then the antelope sprints again, and then the humans catch up, and eventually the antelope's like, I'm done. I got nothing. And so I'm, I'm reading this book and, and it's about the, and my favorite podcast episode is in there and like all these things start coming together. I got myself, um, into shape, uh, to, to do a little bit of running. And this one time I ended up accidentally running seven miles. I'd set out to run five. <laughs> I made a wrong turn. And I ran seven. So my friend said, Hey, if you can run seven miles, you can run a half marathon why don't you join me uh, later this year at, at the Berkeley Half Marathon in California? And I'm like, okay. You know, I, I kind of just needed somebody to invite me to do something. So I started out training for my first half marathon, and this was in, this was, I believe, in 2014, that summer. So the same year that I, I talked to somebody on the airplane, which led to like an eye-opening experience of learning about ultra running and these sort of um, things coming all together. And so it, it helped, all this helped motivate me to get myself into training for this half marathon. I did a bunch of working out. I joined a boot camp in Snohomish where I was living. And uh, when, I, when I'm at boot camp, I met other people who were runners. Um, and this guy, Tony, he had experience running 100 milers. Um, my, this guy, Eric, he had paced a guy and crewed a guy at this Leadville 100 race. And I'm like, what is going on with these people? These are, <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> right. And yeah. So I ended up running that first half marathon. It was terrible. It was, it was a very difficult race because I did not know anything about what I was doing. I mean, I was running. I was trying to learn. But um, mile 
11 happened and I hit the wall and I was just done. Yep. So I suffered those last two miles so hard. But when I finished, there was like this experience of, of emotion and really having accomplished something. And I was crying with my friend who had invited me there. And I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, so I started to run more half marathons. And eventually I set myself a goal of, I want to be able to just any day, just be like, hey, let's just go run a half marathon. Like, let's be so fit that we don't have to actually prepare for that. Because I prepared all summer for that half marathon. And so that sort of became a goal of mine is to have that level of fitness. Um, but in order to have that level of fitness, you kind of need to be training for something bigger. So um, the friends that I met at boot camp, we started to run together a lot. We started to do some races together. And uh, I signed up for my first ultra marathon, which I ended up, that which was uh, in late uh, 2015. So, so you, you skipped the marathon altogether. You just I went did. for the gusto. I went from half marathon to 50K. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Send it. I love it. That's how yeah. we like just it. Just round it up. That's how we just like it. Just round it up. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I've, I've uh, heard of other runners sort of doing the same thing. I think mean, just a couple of weeks ago on some Facebook group of runners, someone was like, who else has just skipped the marathon? I'm like, hell yeah, man. Just go for it. Yeah. So I think if you're just, I think if you're just all in, you're like, if I'm going to do this, like why do the bare bones, you know? Well, out of respect for our marathon friends, marathons ain't no bare bones. But uh, I do agree that if you're going to do it, just do it. Uh, now, unless my if my goal had been to run a marathon, then absolutely, let's have done that. But I th I conquered the half, and I, I still think a half marathon is a pretty sweet distance. It is. Uh, it's pretty fun. There's not a lot of room for error. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that when we get to Moab 240. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Because, yeah, in a short, in a short air quotes, uh, race like a half marathon. There's no room for error. No. If you have a if you fall down or you have a bad day, well, your race is sort of bad. Yep. Um, but it's it's super fun distance. You know, once you're at that level of fitness, you know that amount of time. Time running, is super relative. Yeah, it's but it, <laughs> it feels good and it's fun and you can run fast or slow. It's like whatever you want to do, but it's just it's a pretty great distance. Uh, but yeah, as we started, I met these guys and. It, the 50K became a possibility, and um, and so October of 2015 is when I ran my first ultramarathon, the Baker Lake 50K, up mm. near Concrete, up in north of northern Washington. So. Dang. So when you started training, I mean, you said you, you had some other people around you at the boot camp. Did you start running with those people, or was it still just you on the road, solo, we did start to run together, yeah, and in fact, it was great because we would run, we would meet at like 4 a.m., go run like a six-mile thing together, get back to, we would like park at boot camp, and then we'd get to boot camp at like 5.15 in the morning or whatever our run got done, and then we would do the hour or hour and a half of boot camp, and for me, it was pretty motivating because all the other people at boot camp were like, oh. Rolling out of bed. Eyes they were like, wow, you guys just got done running. You guys are so tough. Feels good. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it's a different type of person that's up in the morning because when I coach, I start coaching at like four in the morning. So it's a different type of person that walks in at four in the morning. And then it's like the people who walk in at eight are like wiping their eyes, like drinking their coffee. You know, it's like. It feels like it's dinner time for me, you know, and they're like just rolling out of bed. Yeah. But the people who are up at that time of day are like ready, like yeah. they're ready to get after it. And that's why I love that time of day, because it's like we don't need to be chit chatty like we're here to work, you know. And so so when you're out there running, are you listening to music? Are you just talking? Are you just listening to the birds and the bees? Like 
Well, when I'm running with my with my running buddies and these guys who I met at that boot camp and with whom I ran that first 50k, we're still running together. Um, uh, I ran with them last weekend as we went around Mount Rainier. So we're still really close. We run together usually about once a week. We'll do a group run. Um, so, you know, when it's the three of us running together, we're talking about whatever. Tony's making fun of somebody for something. Yep. Uh, you know, we're just, we're just like three or four guys who are really close friends and just, you know, giving each other shit and having a fun time with each other. Um, but I spend more time running by myself. And so when I'm running by myself, I'm usually listening to a podcast. So I don't listen to music when I run. Um, and, I, and that came from, I tried listening to music in high school. I can remember going for some of my runs in my uh, cross-country days. And I, you know, this, I'm much older than you two. So this is back when we had like cassette players and Walkman, you know, before digital music. Um, but I would listen to these tapes and I would, my breathing would would try to like match the music I was listening to. Yep. And that would lead to side aches because like my running pace was not whatever that music pace was. Right. And uh, so anyway, I learned it. I learned in high school that I can't listen to music when I, I run. Get, I get messed up so much. I get the wrong playlist on and it's like Foo Fighters and my feet are just going super, super <laughs> quick. <laughs> but I, I remember when I was just running my 50 miler, I thought I was going to have to listen to music the whole time. And like, I got to like mile like 40 and I, I forgot that I had headphones with me. Well, I just, you weren't I, listening to I anything. I didn't listen to anything. And it, it, what it helped me do is focus on the present moment and just yeah. be where my feet are. And it helped me focus on my breathing and pay attention to my body and, and nothing else. So I was like an, in my own bubble. But when I listen to music, sometimes I'll listen to music on like short runs, but that's when I just kind of want an escape and just have mm -hmm. like my head in the clouds and let the music be rolling. But yes, it's weird for like longer distances. I, I, People talk about, like, not listening to music. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, I need something to keep me, you know, A couple things that, that, that brings to my mind. I just listened to a, um, it was Joe Rogan. He was talking to Mike Tyson. Uh, and it was interesting because the last two podcasts he did with Mike Tyson, one was like, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't work out. Like, I don't want it to, you know, in, ignite my ego. And then the last one, obviously, he's coming back to fight. And he's a different, he's like a different human being when he's in that mode. And so... They were asking if he runs, he's, he runs on the street and he's asking me if he listens to music and he's like, no, I like running is a spiritual experience. Mm. Like when you're, when you're in the trees and you hear the birds and there's something that changes, which is really interesting. Cause I'm, I'm big on, uh, like as far as mind science goes. And they said, you could even, you can look at a painting of nature and it changes your mental state. And that's always just been super interesting to me. Um, but as far as, as far as the music goes, I'm I'm music fanatic. And mm. so I think for me, there's an imagery that comes with music when like, it's not necessarily even the beat anymore. I'm, I'm okay. Like look past the beat, but it's like what the person's saying is like taking my mind somewhere. Mm. So I like, forget that I'm running, which is important for me. <laughs> uh, but on the flip side, actually something that really challenged me, one of the, like, uh, we, t we were talking a little bit off the podcast, but can't hurt me by David Goggins was the most challenging book to me as an, as an individual, as a competitor, as a, you know, a person that I've ever read. Um, and he was talking about, there's a part in there, he's talking about music. Um, and there's also an interview when he's talking to, about to the Alabama football team and they were in their weight room and there's just loud music playing. And, uh, and he's like, you know, music's great. He's like, it's cheap adrenaline. That's what it is. <laughs> he's like, but the problem is it's like when you're on the field and there's no music playing and you get popped and you're looking up at the stars, like what music is playing then? 
And it's like the problem is it's there's nothing wrong with music, but there is a problem when you use it to escape. Right. Or when you're not capable of talking yourself through a situation, reminding yourself who you are, why you're there, why you're doing what you're doing. Why the hell am I running 100 miles? You know, no music, no Tupac, no, you know, he's going to carry you there. You know, no, he, they're not going to pick you up when you're tired or have broken ankles or whatever and, right. and it can continue. And so I remember the first workout, I was started listening to the book while I was working out, which is very different for me. And he was talking about that. And so the next workout, I was like, all right, I'm going to try this. I'm going to turn off my music. And I went to the gym by myself, which isn't normal for me either. I'm very much like a group person. And uh, I remember I set weight up on the rack and put some plates on. And then I did like one set and I literally stood there and just like looked at the bar for like five minutes. I'm like, this freaking blows, <laughs> you know, but I literally had, I was like, no, I have to, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to figure this thing out. Like how bad do I really want what I say I want? And if like, there's no one else to see if I just stop right now, there's no one else is going to notice if I stop a rep short, but I'm going to know. Right. Yeah. You know, and it comes down to like your character and what you say you set out for. And so same thing, I'm sure when you're running, you're like, nobody's going to know if you stop early or what your goal was. And it's like, you know, you could go out and run 15 miles on a Saturday and people still think you're a savage. But inside you're like, I was going for 20 and just and was, eh, kind of threw the towel in, you know. And so I wanted you to talk a little bit about the discipline that it took not only physically, but like mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in order to, you know, when you hit a moment, you know, it might not even have been in the 240, but I'm sure there was a moment when you're running, you're like, how bad do I actually want to run these long distances? Yeah, well, the, during training, I mean, I run a lot of miles in training, um, but most of the training runs don't necessarily um, have the sort of mental challenge of like, am I going to be able to get through this particular training run because the training runs generally aren't that long. Um, you know, a lot of times we'll have a longer run on a Saturday followed by a longer run on a Sunday. And, and it's that back to back training that is sort of the core of helping ultra marathon runners learn how to keep moving, even when your legs are tired. Um, so the, the discipline, I think for me started to, become apparent in my very first ultra marathon when I was running that first 50 K. Now I had, I think my longest training run up to that point was maybe 20 miles. Um, and so, you know, I had done a lot of that stuff without necessarily much problem. And I think some of those longer training runs back in 2015, I was with some of my other running friends. We even drove up to, to Baker Lake and ran part of the course before the race, just so that we could sort of experience it ahead of time and see what we're up against. But, um, you know, I made the comment about my first half marathon, how I hit the wall. I didn't know anything about nutrition back at that time. So I didn't eat breakfast. I didn't eat anything during the race. I didn't drink anything during the race. I just sort of went out totally dry. And, Send it. And, <laughs> and uh, I paid the price because it was just like I didn't have enough in the tank in order to really show, show a good success there. So in my 50K, I kind of had a similar thing where um, – I thought I was doing things right, but I hadn't quite learned about hydration yet. I was out drinking water, um, and by the time I got to, at this particular race, there was an aid station at mile 15, so halfway in into the race, essentially, was uh, an aid station, and I was starting to really cramp up. So how 
just for people who don't know, a 50K is how many miles? A 50 kilometers is 31 miles. Okay. Yeah. And so another, th- I'll also point out that the definition of an ultra marathon is pretty uh, loose. I mean, it's essentially anything longer than a marathon. So you can go run a marathon and then go run another half mile and boom, now you're an ultra marathon runner. <laughs> um, but I, was, I was like to say like to walk back to the parking lot Yeah, right. or back you to go. your car. You, you, you've, you've officially that ultra, ultra walk, yeah, <laughs> ultra territory. But generally the races start at 50 kilometers. That's kind of like the, the entry level of ultra marathon running. And so 50 kilometers is 31 miles. And the Baker Lake 50K is an out and back. So you run out on the, st- on the Baker Lake Trail, get to an aid station, and then turn around and go back. And so I got to the halfway point in this race, and my legs were really cramping up. Um, because while I had been, I thought I was doing all the right things. I was drinking water like you're supposed to. I probably had eaten some things. I would learned about that by that point. But I had not learned about replacing all the electrolytes that I had been sweating out. Huge. And I, And, you know... I'm a pretty good sweater. I've practiced my entire life. And I'm, I'm getting real good at it. Professional. Yeah, that's You're right. a little salty. Got your PhD in sweat equity. Yeah, that's right. So I started cramping, and the people at the aid station are like, you know, do you need some salt? And I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I do. So they handed me a bunch of salt tablets, and I started popping them. And I <laughs> was popping them the whole way back, too. Game just, changer. But, man, once you get over once you're in that bad spot, it's really hard to come back. And, uh, so I, I was the, I spent the next 15 miles in so much pain. Mm-hmm. It was so hard. Um, but I just kept telling myself, you know, I'm not going to quit. And, and even if I did quit, what am I going to do? It, this race is an out and back. So, uh, at ha- if I had quit at the aid station, I guess I could have like hung out at the aid station all day until they drove, they drove me back to the starting line. But once I'm heading back towards the starting line, if I quit there, I still have to get myself back to the starting <laughs> line. So at some point, there's really no, there's no uh, reason to quit because you're, you're going to have to finish it anyway. But I, I just pushed and pushed and pushed. And then it was painful and it was hard, but I really wanted that finish. I really wanted to be an ultra marathon runner and to complete it. And so that was my first sort of um, glimpse into the determination that was required was, yeah, I'm in pain. But it doesn't matter. I can still go. I mean, a cramp is not an injury. No. So there's a difference between. I mean, you guys are trainers, right? There's a difference between ouch and injury. Is that right? Injury and pain. Yeah. So being hurt or injured. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's pain, but that's not. You can work through pain. You can keep going. Pain's not a problem. Uh, You know, I didn't break anything. I wasn't hurting myself by continuing on. So, um, yeah, I did that. That first 50k was difficult. And then um, the next, so one of my friends ran that 50K with me, her first ultra marathon also. Mm-hmm. And she turned around uh, the next, was it two weeks later? She, I think that she signed up immediately and when two weeks later went and ran her first 100K. So 100 kilometers is, is 62 miles. Now, I'll also say to the listeners that sometimes when we say you know, 50K or 100K, even that's a bit loose. Like a hundred K is, if you know, math wise is 62 kilometers, but a hundred kilometer race might be like 65 miles. You know, it's all kind of like depending on the terrain and how they do the course. Right. So anyway, my friend decided to do this hundred kilometer race that uh, was taking place down at Mount St. Helens. And I guess it would have been in late October of uh, 2015 and invited me to come down and help out as a pacer to help. A lot of times in these long races, 
maybe you'll start out the race by yourself, but then later they allow you to have someone to run with you. And it's mainly a safety thing. Um, sometimes you're out there in the wilderness all by yourself. You get really tired. You might make bad decisions. Gets dark. Yeah. Wrong so, turn. That's right. So <laughs> having somebody with you to help who has fresher mindset can help keep you safe. So I joined uh, my friend Tina as a, as a pacer during this race. It was called the Bigfoot. She was running the Bigfoot 100K. She's still running? Um, she's more of a hiker now. Mm. <clears throat> uh, I think she found after doing a few things that running wasn't the thing that she was after, but she really enjoyed the outdoors and the hiking. So she's kind of on her own path. But I, um, I was the clear-headed one going into this night, nighttime run with her. I met her at 11 p.m. In the rain, and it in was, October, it's that's right. dark. It was <laughs> like on second thought. <laughs> in the middle of, I was, I had to meet her like on the side of the mountain at this aid station, you know. And this particular race had some terrible weather. Yeah. I didn't really know so much about this until about a little bit later. But there had been at the previous aid station, there was runners like who were dropping out of the race because they were hypothermic. That it was just rain, and they weren't prepared. Um, but I started to guide Tina for I can't remember how many miles this section was, but. We were going through the night uh, around Mount St. Helens in terrible weather. And um, some other runners joined up with us because they were also kind of trying to make their way. They were having their own fatigue. So I kind of became like this Pied Piper leading a group of three runners. <laughs> Sherpa West. <laughs> yeah. And that was also sort of like a determination sort of education for me. Like, look, we're, we're going to keep going. And I got to also, this was the first time I got to see in real life um, runners who are doing even bigger distances. Cause my friend had signed up for the hundred kilometer version of this race. But at the same time, there was a, uh, 120 mile race. I think, see today the Bigfoot race still exists, but it, it's a 200 miler and a hundred K and maybe a 40 miler. They have a few different distances. Um, but back then it was, it predates the 200. So I think they had like this 120 mile race and then they had the hundred K. Well, I had never wow. actually seen like a hundred mile runner in real life before um so some of the two runners who were with us they were part of the 120 mile race bigfoot for real and wow. these these people were so tired like i could see in their eyes just like a deadness yeah. of exhaustion <laughs> it's a death march hey, that yeah, zombie it's mode. crazy and they were so happy to be with us because i was a bit fresher um but just as i i was sort of like excited to see their pain like oh my gosh look how tough these people are um so just another sort of one of these things that like building bricks in my foundation of, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to have the pain that those people are having. Thank you. Um, anyway, that particular night ended up having a, a river crossing that was really dangerous. Um, it was, we had a bunch of things going on that were rough, a lot of river crossings, but we got to one river crossing that was particularly bad. And, um, there were, you could hear boulders being like rolling down the oh river. No. And we, we were like, we couldn't figure out a way to get across this river. And as we're watching the river, we thought maybe we'd see a path. Like if we hop that rock, hop that rock. But by the time we sort of were imagining it, those rocks had all been washed away and been replaced by new rocks. So the paths were constantly changing. And we were at that particular um, ro uh, river crossing for, oh man, I want to say it was two hours or something. We were staring at it for a long time. Uh, but eventually we figured out our way across and we <coughs> felt so triumphant to make it across this dangerous river crossing because some runners had actually given up. We had seen them coming the other way. They're like, there's no way across the river. We're bailing. We're, we're quitting the race. 
Um, and that night I'm like, there's no way I'm letting this river beat me. Yeah, you don't and see this in a half marathon. This is where the problem solving comes in. <laughs> man. You didn't see any of that. And it was like three o'clock in the morning too. So it was, <laughs> I mean, you're like, you're like, you don't even know if you're seeing that rock is actually there or if it's just a mirage. Hallucinations are big ones that I hear that people have. They too. sure are. In fact, when we, so to get to this river crossing, you have to do a rappel down a rope that is permanently installed on this, on this cliff side. Uh, but you, when we were looking down the cliff, one of the runners of the 120 distance, um, this guy, his name is Neil. We're still we're still friends on Facebook. I, <laughs> he's he's super tough too. But I remember him looking down. He's like, "Oh, do you see that Volkswagen bug? That car down there?" <laughs> <laughs> and so that was my first. I'd heard about the hallucinations, and so I was w- witnessing a human man have one in front of me. Um, so yeah, like looking over your shoulder, like, did you have any during the 240? I did. Yeah. Well, what did you see? Oh, I, I had a number of hallucinations okay. during the, the 240. Um, they started around mile 150, maybe. Uh, I can remember looking at a mountain in the distance and seeing writing on the mountain and thinking, oh, wow, they went to a lot of trouble to like cut down trees so that you could <laughs> see writing from the distance. But I couldn't read what it said. Like I couldn't make it out. Yeah. And the pacer I had with me, Todd, he couldn't see it. So he couldn't, he was of no use to me. Yeah. Um, but then that I started to see more things. Like I saw my name written in the rocks on the ground and I saw all kinds of writing written on the rocks on the ground as I was running. And I'm like, I don't think this is real because it would be way too much work for someone to write on all these rocks. Um, <laughs> but then, and then got later, a great team around you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> later I was convinced I'd been there before. As, so I had this deja vu <laughs> sense that was extremely real. I'm like, Mike, I know that the moment we go over this hill, I know what we're going to see. I mean, I couldn't describe it, but once we got there, I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is what I meant to describe. You know, it was, it was a weird experience. Mm. I think the last hallucination I had was seeing dollhouses in the dirt. Um, the, on the side of the road, there was like these rock flat rocks that were, that had other rocks under them. Anyway, the rocks under the flat rock looked like walls and the flat rock looked like a, a roof. And so, and I saw inside like dolls made out of plants and rocks. I'm like, wow, somebody made dolls. <laughs> yeah. Who needs music when you have hallucinations? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the hallucinations are real. And that's another one of those things that just, you know, you, you talk about the termination. You're so tired and you're seeing things that you know aren't there, but you're still seeing them. The fact that you, um, you know that there is not a Volkswagen bug at the bottom of that rope, but yet you still see it. Right. Yeah, it's just, it, it's amazing what the mind is, it, I think the mind is calling out for help almost. Yeah, right. <laughs> or Volkswagens. Uh, so I think one thing that I was definitely ignorant on is the pace. So I think in, in my mind, even as Tyler started running longer distances, my mind is like, you're running at whatever i mean i'm sure it's different for most people but i'm thinking like for good runners you're running like a seven minute mile pace for like the whole distance right so like mine equals blown and then you know you hear stories it's like oh it's actually like 60 percent running and then like you know you're walking and climbing and it's not just like this freaking full sprint for you know 30 60 100 miles so what's like the so say let's start with the race you just talked about with the 50k uh so how much of that is like running and at what pace and how much of it is like walking recovery uh that particular rate now of course this is also going to depend on the the course so you did the terrain will dictate a lot of how much running you're doing 
in general, ultramarathon runners will follow a rule of hiking uphills and then running flats and running downhills. It doesn't make any sense to run uphill because it's, it consumes a lot of energy and it's not that much faster than walking up the hill. So, I mean, unless you're going to win the race, if your goal is to win, then you'll, you'll run a lot more of it. But most of the people, their goal is just to, to finish it. Um, so in the case of like the Baker Lake 50K, that particular race is not a big climbing race. There's not some huge hills that you need to overcome, but there's a lot of rolling things. So it's probably about a, you might be right, about a 60% running in that particular race. And then you hit a hill. You know, if it's a, if it's a minor hill, you might just run it because why not? But if it's, if anything that's going to consume too much energy, then you just hike it because that's more efficient. Mm. So you, um, made, you made an interesting point. So like you said, if you're trying to win, so let's say there's a hundred people in the race, how many people are trying to win? Probably two. <laughs> so, and with those two, those are probably the only two that have the chance to win. Yeah. It's like there's right. just levels. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in fact, you mentioned, so at Moab 240, which is the, the race I did yeah, last October, um, you were talking earlier about David Goggins. I had never heard of David Goggins until last year when I was at the, the Moab 240 check-in. People started talking about there's this guy named David Goggins. And I'm like, okay, fine. I never heard of him. Wait, he was there? Yeah, he was in the race. Oh, my gosh. I so didn't know that. He, um, I, know I, was at that the, I was talking to somebody at the beginning of the race, and they're like, oh, yeah. So um, my friend was friends with this guy, Michael McKnight, who ended up winning the race. Mm-hmm. Um, but... My friend was saying, yeah, Michael, but, you know, Michael's probably going to win, but there's this other guy, David something, who, who's also going to try for it. And so those are really the only two people who were, like, p- possibly going to win the race. Now, this guy, Michael McKnight, he, he is amazing. He, so <laughs> I mentioned there's the Bigfoot 200. Moab 240 is the third of a series of 200-mile runs. So there's the Bigfoot 200 in August, and then there's the Tahoe 200 in, in September, and then the Moab 240 in October. Dear God. And there are, and last year there was 35 people who ran all three of them. Consecutive? They, they call it the triple crown of 200s. So that each month you're running a 200-mile race. Jeez. And Michael McKnight wow. won every single one of the races. What? So this guy, he's an amazing runner. <laughs> um, but so he goes into Moab 240 with the expectation that he's probably going to win. But David Goggins was also there. I learned later. Now, was this was was he in the middle of accomplishing those three consecutively? Like was 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 in, was that the first race of the Triple Crown that you're talking about? Moab 240 was the third. Third, of, yeah. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. So um, he's already had two 200 mile races under his belt. Yeah. That's what right. in the world? So, so where <laughs> is Moab 240? So it starts in Moab, Utah. Uh, which is in, what is it, southeastern Utah. And what is that like down there? It's desert. Uh, it's high desert. Hot. The, the town of Moab is at about 4,000 feet, and the highest point in the race is just over 9,000, maybe 10,000 feet. And the temperatures in October can be warm. Um, I think the warmest temperatures we had might have been in the 60s. But in the sun sh- in the exposed sun, it felt warm. But then it also gets really cold. So because it's the desert, you know, you have extremes. It's hot during the day and it's super cold at night. I think the coldest night we had was 17 degrees. Um, so like hot, cold therapy yeah, in the worst way. Yeah, that's it's Free right. cryo. Yeah. Huh. Okay, so you're at the race. You got your boy McKnight. Goggins is there. You're there. And this is the first over 100-mile race that you've done? 
Yeah, that's right. And up until that point, I had run two 100-mile races. So you went from 100 just straight 240. Um, yeah, I had considered the other 200 distances, the, the Bigfoot or um, Tahoe, as possible races that yeah, I would do. I have as well. And I just <laughs> said no. I chose, I chose not on Bigfoot because that race, it, it's, the, it's the similar course that I had paced my friend during the, her 100K when we had this dangerous river crossing. Mm. And, um, and in my, in the previous year, I ran the Bigfoot 100 K myself. So I'd, I'd run some of that area and I'm like, eh, I've run that area. Maybe I'll run somewhere else. By the time Tahoe 200 was filling up and about to sell out, I wasn't ready just to commit and say that I'm going to do it. So I decided if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do the Moab 240. I think part of me was like, well, 240, that's more. Let's go for the most miles yeah. if you're going to do it. Um, although, interestingly, of the three races, Moab 240 is probably the easiest. Um, Bigfoot is the hardest. It has the, the steepest and the longest climbs. It's more of a beefy race. Um, and also, during my training for Moab, I actually ended up going to all three races because I had a friend at Bigfoot, and I helped pace him. So I paced, mm. I think I paced about 50-something miles. I can't remember, but I was with him for a lot of the race. And then I went to Tahoe and I paced another friend. I paced him for 60 miles of his race. And those were really good experiences for me because I wanted to know what to expect. Sort of like, what is the, what is a 240 like? Cause I'll tell you, it's not at all like a, a 5k. It's not at all like a half <laughs> marathon. Like just the vibe of an aid station is completely different. And so I kind of wanted to just know how fast do people actually move during this thing? Mm. You know? Um, so Pacing it at the races was probably one of the best decisions that I could have made because I got to be in the actual event totally. without actually running it myself and having to do the whole thing. So it was great training for me. Um, so we started out, um, Moab 240 starts out in the town of Moab, and it's a loop race. So you end up leaving, sort of going out into the desert. Um, you go over some mountains. You come back to the desert eventually go over more mountains and then eventually returned back to the same spot as you started in the town of Moab, Utah. And uh, is like it, I is said, five loops, it's, this is just a single, oh, a single loop, loop one yeah. big loop, one big <clears throat> loop that you, there's nothing in this particular race that's repeated. And, um, so yeah, so we started off running, ran through town, ran, uh, I think basically ran most of the way to the first aid station, which, which is at mile nine. And that was followed by a climb. So then we hike up this hill um, get up to a higher spot and then ran for a while. And I ran most of, I would say, um, except, except for the climbs, I ran most of probably the first 70 miles of the race. Mm. So when do people start scattering? Like, obviously you're all started together. Yeah. We scattered almost, I mean, pretty much immediately. So, I mean, going through town, there was a lot of people around and then we got onto a trail and then we start start spreading out, spreading out. But I would say between the first and second aid stations, so between mile nine and mile 17, we just, by then you were already by yourself. I mean, I would, I ran with a woman for a short time, Lori from Denver, and then we split up and then uh, I was by myself for a really long time. Um, so yeah, within 20 miles, everyone is, you know, if you're with somebody else, it's because like you've made a decision that you're going to run with somebody yeah. else. But for the most part, we're all spread out by that point. So when you say, like, like you said, there's like two people who could win. Yeah. Are they, are they skipping aid stations 
are they are is everybody still hitting every aid station everybody's hitting every aid station now, I, I can't say what those guys are doing because I'm well behind them. I have no idea what they do when they get to an aid station. But, you know, they have the same requirements to hydrate and right, right, right. and fuel and everything like just the rest of us. So what is, like, coming out the gates to say mile 1 to 18, like what kind of mile pace are you putting up? I'm probably doing um, – that's a great question. Running through town, we were probably doing about a 10-minute mile pace because we're excited it, we're on the road. It's easy. And so running faster than we should, but um, it feels too good not to. So are you taking advantage of that then? So like when you're feeling good, you take advantage of it and, and, and try to stay in that space as long as possible, or are you kind of more on the safer side and kind of leaving a little more room to, That's this, a good question. to, to kind of prolong that good feeling until you hit that first proverbial wall? Yeah, I, I try real hard to to sort of be conservative as much as possible. Yeah. Even though I'm feeling good, um, you know, I will try to run to, to you know, move along, but I'm not going to, tr- I'm really going to try to make sure I'm not running too fast. It's a delicate dance. It is. They're, they're, so I, mean, I would say I probably settled into a pace um, more like 15-minute mile pace, something like that. Um, I can't remember exactly. We would, of course, the, the brilliance of Strava, we could probably go and we could, find out exactly what that pace was. But there was a pace I settled into, which is sort of like a run forever pace. It was super easy. Mm-hmm. And as long as there wasn't a hill involved, I could just run like that for a long, long mm. time. And I'm not afraid to say that I'm super ignorant when it comes to these things. So I like asking these questions because it makes me get a better understanding. So are you changing? Obviously, that's a long ways on one muscle group, you know, unless you're climbing. So right. Are you changing your stride length? Are you changing the way you're picking your knees up just to try to change the muscle activation? Like, how does that work? Uh, I will mostly just change my pace between hiking and and running if I need to change muscle groups. Now, sometimes I will, after a long time of that sort of like monotonous, I can run forever pace, my muscles will start to tighten up and they don't want to extend any more beyond that little shuffle that I'm doing. So I will like kick my legs back. Any backpedaling or anything like that? Uh, (laughs) I do sometimes. Yeah. I will sometimes run backwards just to make, to to change things. Yeah. doesn't happen very often. Um, I did it last weekend. It's funny. So it's funny you asked that, but generally um, I will, you know, go from running to walking or running to hiking. And that's because even sometimes, even though it's, you might be flat, and you could run, you might, you know, you know, I'm tired. I'm going to just stop and walk for a minute. And that, and part of it is to just change the muscle groups. Um, it's, it is amazing. If you don't, I wouldn't have known this, but when I started running, I didn't know that there's different muscles for walking and hiking and running. You know, I didn't yeah, You know. find out that very quickly when you haven't been <laughs> you like, there's, that's the thing that's so interesting about the body is that there's just so many different ways to be in shape. You know, I remember just like in high school, you go, you're in great soccer shape. You're running nonstop. You're outside. All of a sudden, you get on the basketball floor, and you're like completely gassed. You know, it's just a completely different type of in shape. Same thing with like, you could be great, you know, treadmill shape, and all of a sudden you go on a hike, and you're lifting your legs up laterally, and you're stepping up on rocks, and your yeah. quads are fired up, but you're coming downhill, and you're putting the brakes on, and and it's just a, such a different, you know, muscle group, which is why that's that's why that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's especially when you're, you're moving straight. I know for myself, I like to keep myself just continually engaged, whether it's backpedaling or side shuffling or. So when you get to an aid station, what is happening? Different aid stations will have different, 
um, requirements, I guess, or different things. So the Moab 240, um, some aid stations, you are allowed to have a drop bag uh, waiting for you. So um, I put together a bunch of bags that had replacement calories, maybe a new shirt, new socks. I would put together a bunch of things that I felt like I would need. Let's say at mile 30, what am I going to be needing? I'm going to probably want new socks um, because I'm going to be running in all this sand and and I just want to be proactive. What kind of socks? I run in in gingy oh, socks. The toe socks. Toe socks. Yeah. yeah. He just he just got on that. He's been bragging about them oh, for a man, while. They're so they're game changers, yeah. man. You are right yes. to like those socks. Yeah. Because so it's not skin to skin contact, so you got full coverage of each toe. So in, in gingy socks, what about shirt? Uh, I run usually. I run, well, I run in merino wool. Usually a t-shirt, maybe a long sleeve. Um, I, I started out the Moab 240 wearing uh, a button-up plaid shirt. Yep, I saw that. Yeah, I like <laughs> I like dressing up for some of my races. Um, I didn't. I only ran that I think for the or that shirt for the first uh, half maybe. But I I had sh- I had shorts changes, socks changes, shirt it makes changes. such a big difference. Because yeah, man, I like I told you, I sweat, and so I can if I can put on something dry. Put on some fresh socks. Such a I mean, great I'm like, feeling. Oh, look at me. I'm like ready to go. I also changed shoes. I think I changed shoes four times. What kind of shoes are you wearing? Um, I run in a brand called Topo Athletic, um, and I run in the in the model called Ultra Venture. And what what sets Topo apart is that they have a the the part where your feet are or at the end, especially the toe box. What we refer to that as, it's wide in the Topo brand. Mm. Um, there's another brand that's very well known for its wide toe box called Ultra, A-L-T-R-A. Yep. Um, Ultra is also known for being what's called a zero drop shoe. So the distance between your toe in the ground and your heel in the ground is exactly the same. It's flat. So there's mm. there's zero drop between the heel and the toe. Um, my particular body does not like to run in a zero drop shoe. And by the way, we talked earlier about that Born to Run book. They're all about the zero drop because that's like the most natural way. If you're running barefoot, there is zero distance or difference between your heel and your toes and the ground. Um, but a, a, a shoemaker like Solomon, they make shoes that have like a nine millimeter drop. So it's much more dramatic. So your heel is nine millimeters more off the ground than your toe is. So are you a toe runner? It's not that I'm a toe runner, but it's just having that, that heel higher, um, gives your Achilles a little, it's a little less pressure rest, right. on the Achilles. So I don't like having, I don't like such a high drop. I don't like a no drop. So the topos that I run in, I like the combination of wide toe box and about a five millimeter drop between the heel and the, and the toe. And so, um, yeah, when I get to an aid station, I change clothes. If I can't, if I'm doing that, um, I will, uh, eat of course. So and, what, what are you eating? Uh, that's the great thing about oh. these 200 mile races, dude. <laughs> Because it's not like you go to a, a mac you know, and cheeseburgers. It's it is not. <laughs> you, I, I mean, for me, like you eat like a pregnant lady. It's like it's for me. It was like pickles and chocolate covered gummy bears on my run. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds. There's all that yummy treats, and then there's um, pickles and potatoes. Oh, pickles, are but it's not good. just. I mean, any race, pretty much an ultra will have these staples of potatoes and salt and and some sort of gel from goo or one of the other brands. Um, all these sorts of energy foods. 
But at these long, big races, like these 200-mile races, there's also a grill that's cooking up quesadillas and burgers and hot dogs. And so I remember at the... It can't be good to be burping up hot dog the next <laughs> 20 miles. Oh, man, but it's real food, you know. Oh, right? absolutely. I'm sure you smash it. I just, I'm just picturing myself burping <laughs> what, hot dog. What's your go-to? Well, what's your pick me up? I was eating, um, I'd have a burger at every, at every station, yeah. uh, except for one that didn't have them. So they had hot dogs and I had two hot dogs. I was, um, but I was just, yeah, I was just having as much calories as I could get in. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I would also run at that, in that race, I ran with a uh, tailwind in my water. So that's a product that has calories and electrolyte replacement that you put into your water. Mm, so tailwind, never heard of that. It's a, it's a, there's a n- number of brands. I run now with a brand called Infinite Nutrition. It's a similar kind of thing. It's like basically drinking all my calories. And I, I might eat something along the way just to sort of change it up, but I kind of don't have to. As long yeah. as I'm just one bottle an hour, it's like I can keep going. And that's just like in your water? Yeah, it's in my water, hmm. right. So I, I learned from that Baker Lake 50K experience, like just don't drink pure water. I mean, unless you're doing other things too. Uh, so I... I've come along to the the rule of putting the calories and hydration in my water. Are you big into those goos or stinger waffles or I yeah, I'll kinda have a I have a lot of those sorts of things and yeah. I try to mix it up. Stinger waffles are like like stroop waffles. Yeah, so good. Those and, are my favorite. And are you, always pick me up. Are you required to produce that stuff for yourself or is there like an aid station where you can just grab whatever from The aid stations are very well stocked. So there you know all this food is pretty provided. Okay, okay. And but at the same time I also carry a lot of my own food. Uh, I'll take food from the aid station to like uh, feed me as I go to the next aid station. But you can never be sure or guaranteed what's going to be at an aid station. So in my particular style, I guess, I carry a lot of my own stuff. I just bring – I, in some ways, the aid stations are I – don't, I don't rely on them except as a water source. You know, I really need their water. Um, but I bring my all the stuff to put in the water. I bring a lot of food to have between aid stations. You wearing a backpack? Yeah, I wore a fairly large pack for Moab. The, Moab – um, actually had a fairly lengthy requirement list for what we need to carry. Oh. So we needed to carry uh, a long sleeve shirt. We needed to carry a rain jacket or a, a jacket. Uh, we needed to carry rain pants. We needed to have um, uh, a space blanket. Uh, we needed to have like a first aid kit. We needed to have uh, 500 calories of food in a bag at all times. They probably so, prefer that you didn't die on their that's race. right. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that you're required <coughs> to carry. And so when I kind of looked at all the things I needed, I was required to carry the, whatever the pack I was using at the time wasn't large enough. I ended up with an Osprey pack is what mm, I ran yeah. in. And I think it was a 15 liter capacity. Uh, I think it was called Duro D U R O. And it also had like this great, um, waste. Dude, belt. that makes such a big difference. Having <laughs> access to Dude. stuff. I mean, I hate when I have to like take off the pack to get into the back of it. Um, so so you just throw some PB&J sandwiches in the bag and just, and just, and just keep moving. Dual wield. <laughs> That's right. <yeah>. Double fisted. <laughs> Double fisted with the PB&J. One's got the jelly. One's got the jam. We just, yeah. So so obviously there's a lot of people at the beginning, you know, very strong pace. So at some point people start getting weeded out. So like you said, you know, whatever earlier when you said there's 100 people start the race, you know, there might be like 23 to 36 people that actually finish. So as far as uh, this is something I'm kind of interested in. So as far as like male, female, 
as far as paces go. Is it pretty similar? Yeah, it's pretty similar. The longer the distance <clears throat> goes, the the more that men and women sort of converge into having a very similar performance. Mm. Um, in fact, I don't rem- I don't remember the the year, but I think it was I think it was 2018, the year before I ran Moab. Courtney Dewalter ran Moab 240, and Savage. she and she won like not just the women, but she won overall. She destroyed. And I think the second place runner was like 26 miles behind her, or. 20, it was something stupid, like twenty six like hours eight, behind like, her, or like, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She could have taken like an eight hours nap. That's right. Yeah, got, and yeah, she could have stayed in a hotel for like a day. And she's so far fine. ahead, dude. Yeah. That's crazy. So that's one of the neat things about it is that it's. Um, I I like about ultra marathon running is that it's it's such an open equal playing field for all comers. So what's the time cap? Uh, oh, what was it? A hundred and five hours or one hundred and fifteen hours. Something like that. Four and a half days, mm. almost five days, if I remember right, was the distance, uh, was the, the time cutoff. So, you know, only a couple of people have a, the possibility of winning. Most of us, our entire goal is just to finish the thing. Um, and so you can do it at whatever pace you want. Um, I, I've had a lot of comments on my YouTube video of my Moab uh, run where a lot of comments were like, it looks like you guys are mostly hiking. Where's the running? Oh, yeah. You know, and Trolls. it's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess I can understand that as a question. You know, you watch a video that's supposedly about this race and all this running, but oh, you don't see very much running. Now, in my particular case, I was I got injured at mile 120. So I was, my hamstring got hurt as on this terrible, steep climb. And so I was, I couldn't run the second half of the race because it hurt too bad to run. Um, but I wasn't about to quit. So I ended up hiking most of the, the second 120 miles, but the, but it's, it's all about just enduring the thing and getting to the finish line before the cutoff. And in only, in order to do it, you're going to have to be moving. You cannot go 240 miles in less than 105 hours or whatever the, the cutoff is, unless you are at least generally running part of it, um, you, you could you could power hike, you know, like move fairly quickly in a walking pace. You could probably do that the entire time. Um, so it's not just, it's not really about running as much as it is about um, moving and enduring the experience for that long. Yeah, I mean, it's 240 miles. It's <laughs> nothing to just like, I mean, it's like you don't need to be running. It's 240 miles. I mean, to put that into, you know, people who live in Washington. Tyler, you just ran around Lake Washington. Yeah. And so did congratulations, by the way, I saw that on Strava yeah. and on Instagram and I'm like, that is cool. Thank you. Yeah. On was, pavement too. respect. Yeah. That I, I definitely ran into the, uh, the pain. Cause I mean, mentally I felt good like a couple of days after, but then like started getting that first workout and first little like comeback run. Like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, st- I'm still dealing with a little bit of runner's knee, which I'm still oh. trying to power through. Like hopefully I'll be ready for the 50 K next month, but, um, just doing a lot of rolling and, got my hypervolt and stuff. So trying to keep the mileage low and then see what I can do for that 50 K. But yeah, pave, yeah. Pavement is a butt kicker for sure. I was trying to stay on the sides of the roads as best as possible. Oh, but yeah, shout out to uh, Derek Peterson. Another good, my buddies who just did around like Washington too, is his first 50 miler. Cause he was, he was signed up like you were for two 50 milers this year. Uh, and then they both got canceled. And so he's like, well, what am I training for? It's like, I don't need, somebody to set up a race for me to just go run it. So yeah. he did the same thing. And I texted out to where I was like, I was like, how's the body? He's like, 
wrecked. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what is your, uh, what's your recovery routine? He's like rest. But, uh, but yeah, so that's 50 miles around Lake Washington. So that's like doing that, whatever, four and a half times for the people who live here. That kind of gives you a perspective of how far you're literally traveling on your feet. Yeah. And I, I think that I'm a big perspective person. So that being into put a per- perspective is just it's daunting it's a daunting task uh and i, I wanted to ask you this question earlier because I, I i don't like running around the city i like i would much rather be on a track or a treadmill because i like just knowing like if i'm done like i can sit down my car is right there like i'm done on the treadmill i can just freak i'm done you know but if you run outside you're like out in the middle of nowhere like you said that race you know you got to the other side now you got to run all the way back right so mentally what's the easiest and what's the toughest? Like, would you rather have like a shorter thing that's like five loops or would you rather have one long loop or would you rather have like a one mile track and you just have to do it as many times as possible? Like what's the easiest and what's the hardest for you? Uh, my experience has been, I definitely prefer a loop, a single loop if possible. Um, later this month, I'm going to run my first loop, multiple loop 100. So I'm going to be running a race that is five 20 mile loops and I don't know what that's going to be like. I know that it's a different mental challenge because you get into the aid station and you've got to get back out again. And at any, any one of those loops, it's really easy to quit because you quit and you're, you don't have to walk 20 miles back. You're already at the finish. Um, but I did uh, last weekend, my buddies and I ran around the Wonderland Trail, which is the trail that circumnavigates Mount Rainier. And it's a 93-mile trail. We did it in three days. And it was my first experience of sort of doing, uh, um, it was the kind of thing where we had the opportunity at our each stop to kind of quit if we wanted to. And so it was my first opportunity to have an experience like that where I had to run a, like run 37 miles the first day and then, you know, get into camp, have dinner, relax, and then make the decision to get dressed and go back out again to do another 30 miles to the, to the next camp site. And it, it was actually mentally challenging to have to overcome that. Um, the starting and stopping. The starting and stopping and having the possibility of like, you know, if I could just stop now and then and we could be done. And it, by having like a single loop where you're out there and the only way to get back is to complete it, that to me is the easiest of the challenge. You, mm. el- you eliminate the, uh, the safety net there. Yeah, yeah that's burn, right. Burn the ships. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I mean... I think the worst thing would have to be like a 24 hour race on a track where you're just running loops. I mean, to me, there's just, I mean, I guess I should do that someday to experience that mental challenge. But I, I see that as being the hardest of them because I mean, how do you keep going? You yeah. know, well, I think, I think for, for me, I think that's the easiest because it's like when you said you, you were learning to run, so you like run to that stop sign, walk, run to that stop sign. So like, the distance is so short. I mean, you can see like everything you have to run, you know? So it's like, I just got to get back to here, you know? And then I think for me, the familiarity, like when you get back to, and you're like, Oh, I've seen that before. Okay. I remember when I was here, or I remember that place, you know, I'm that far, but I think for me, I would be the exact opposite of you where I don't like to burn the ships. I like to full send it, but I don't like knowing, like I have, I've never seen any of this stuff before. I mean, you said you went out with your friends and you kind of checked out the course. And I think if that was the case, I would probably be more susceptible to taking that on. 
but I like the familiarity of knowing, you know, the timing and yeah. and the feeling of last time I was here. Mm. But that's that's funny. I'd be the exact opposite. Uh, but there's also something cool about like because I I. I we did a little bit of a, a bike ride before my 50 mile or just to kind of check out bathroom stops because mm. Starbucks are all shut down. And I you know, took a, a precaution of taking some Imodium before, which helped super. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a big help. <laughs> yeah, because there's, there's nothing worse than having to pull over to the side of the road and having to figure out like if anybody's looking at you. Right. But, um, but just kind of going off of what you're saying, Jeremy, for me, like I think there's beauty in like every step that I take, I'm not going back. Right, right. Every step is new, and and, and for me, just mentally, it's like there's that line that that, that just keeps moving forward, and I haven't yet to experience like a loop. What's really funny, my my buddy, I was actually supposed to do it with my buddy Austin, and we were talking like I'm doing a 50 mile next week, and he's the only friend who would take like 10 seconds and like be like, yeah, like sure, let's go do it. But he had had he had an event, so he decided to do it the week after, and he did it on a. 2.6 2.6 mile loop around oh, I forgot which lake somewhere up north but he did it uh kind of like multiple loops 2.6 miles and he had to switch every once in a while just to keep his brain fresh but he was yeah. like yeah that was that was one of the toughest things that he's ever done but mm-hmm. props to him for doing that just on a whim yeah you know, you, your comments reminded me of a there's a great book about ultra marathon running called relentless forward progress yeah and just even as just that title is sort of the whole idea about ultra running, just continuing to move forward, one foot in front of the other. Yeah, just you don't uh, you don't stop, you know. Oh, you can stop. Yes. But you don't stop. Stop. Yeah. You can stop to take a break, but yeah, you just you don't go back. You just, just keep, keep pushing moving, that just bar. Keep pushing it forward. So, do you know? Do you know a guy named by the name of Chad Wright? I don't know that name. He's he's kind of a he's an ultra marathoner, but I was just watching I was watching a video of he's him. A seal, isn't he? Uh, he, he was, um, he's, he's friends with, uh, Cameron Haynes. Do you know that name? I don't know. That oh name man, either. this is great. You're going to love those guys. Um, but just watching him do an event and there was just like, it's kind of to that, the title you just gave that relentless pursuit where there's some people who like, they just hit a wall and they're just like done. And then there's like the people who just have that stank face, you know, <laughs> where like, they just like, like you said, you hit that wall and then you just get grimy. You know, you're just like, I will not be stopped, you know? So what do you, like, what place do you go to, like, mentally, emotionally, you know, when you have to get, like, gritty at that point? Like, what do you pull from? Oh, man. Um, I'm not sure what the word it is in me, but I just, I just buckle down and just decide that I'm just going to power through um, and... I think I, I want to, maybe part of it is like, I want to impress myself. Like there's no one to impress, um, but I'm going to keep going. And in order to motivate myself, I'm going to impress myself. Well said. Let's show, let's show me what I can do. Mm. Um, when we were doing this Wonderland trail last weekend, um, there was some climbs that we had to, uh, to climb up that were very long. I think one of them was about an 11 mile uphill climb that had a couple of reprieves but it was relentless it took us hours and hours and i was just making my way up that hill impressing myself but also impressing mike and tony they're like man wes you just won't stop (laughs) and i'm like yeah i'm not gonna stop i want to keep this going i i uh 
want us to achieve what we want to achieve and, and do it while looking good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's, I'm not sure, you know, if it, if it's an innate thing that, um, that I've been blessed with to have a, a reserve that I can tap into. I don't know mm. if it's the training that I've honed it. I don't know if I didn't have it and I, and I somehow received it. I don't know, mm. but I do know that I enjoy it and that I enjoy that I've been, I've worked my way into a spot that I can do things that other people think are impressive. And so I want to inspire them if I can. And so it pleases me to no end that, um, I have these videos on my YouTube channel that sort of demonstrate and document these adventures. Mm. And I do it for me because it's a lot of fun. I have a background in video production. I love running. Let's put those two things together and share some stories. Got me pumped up. Yeah, right? <laughs> and that's what that's what got us here, yeah, right? exactly. Totally. And yeah. so um, I, I just, I do it for me, but I also do it because I know that somebody else is going to see something that's going to help them out, yeah. show them a path. Yeah, I've... Um, been a firm believer that you know to have when we have balance in our life we have three relationships in place and you know one is that we we have somebody ahead of us that does what we do better than than we do it we have somebody that we're in the trenches with fighting for you know kind of have that competitive nature that kind of sharpening and then you have somebody who's you know farther down the line from you that's trying to get where you're at and I think that you know more I hear about the ultra ultra running and the community that is in place there that you have all three of those built in, you know, you have the camaraderie of the people that, like you said, when you started with cross country in high school, you have the people who are like, man, you can do it. You know, we're, we're coming along. And then, you know, without even thinking about it, now you look back and you're like, dang, I've come a far way. Now there's people who like look up to me, like, Oh my God, what you're doing is impossible. And then you can look down the line at the people where you're like, Oh my God, like your paces are freaking like unworldly, you know? And I think that, is important because it gives you two things. It gives, it keeps you humble and you realize that you have a far ways to go, but it also gives you this confidence of, you know, I've come so far and now I can bring others with me. And I think that you, you carry a, a presence of both of those, you know, because of the accomplishments that you've been able to get to give you the confidence, you know, the humility of that there's, there's always something, you know, greater to be had. And, and one of the most, uh, really the inspirational things that I've, I've used. I know we've mentioned Goggins a lot, but uh, at the end of his book, he talks about this, this moment when he meets God at the end of his life. And he said he has this list that, you know, God's placed before all of us of the things that we have the capability of doing with the talents that we were given. And he's like, I want to be able to like look God in the face and, and God say like, I saw you being able to accomplish all of those things. I want to be able to check off every box of the things that I was capable of. But I also want to surprise God and God be looking at the list and saying, man, I, I didn't think you were going to be able to pull that off or I didn't <laughs> see that coming. And I think like it gives me chills thinking about that same way it gives me chills when you talked about inspiring, you know, and impressing yourself of that moment when you like overcome, you're like, damn, like I'm Loki a savage. Like I didn't think I was gonna be able to pull that off. And I made that happen. And there's a leadership that comes with that, you know? And, and I think it was really cool when you were talking about being a pacer and going into these races. And I think that something that's awesome is when you become the pacer, like there's a different responsibility that you take on yourself. Mm, that's true. You know, it's like one, it's no feed that you just got to run 50 miles. Like that's not, it's nothing to sniff at. 
But when you're the one who's supposed to be the energetic one, the person who's fresh, the person who's fresh mind, the person who's uplifting, it puts you into a different mental space in the way that like I have to lead. So I got to dig deeper, you know, and and one of my there's a favorite quote is a, a famous football player. And he said, I he's like, you, are you never tired? He's like, no, I never put my hands on my knees because I never want my enemy to see me tired. Mm. And so it's that same way of like when you're a leader, you become a professional at recovery, learning how to lead inside. You're like, dude, I want to stop right now. But on the outside, you're like, hey, we're going to freaking do this. This is easy work. We were trained for this, etc. cetera. Um, and so I just want to tell you, as we kind of wrap this thing up, I just appreciate you and just the countenance you carry, uh, the presence that you, you have. Um, and there's just a, there's just a quiet humility about you, but I know that there's a savageness <laughs> that's deep in your spirit, you know, that, uh, that brought us to this table, obviously it's inspired Tyler you inspire me. Uh, and, and I know obviously people know how I feel about Tyler. We go way back and just the ability that he's, he's pulled himself really by himself of looking around, finding inspiration and going out in and doing the the road work. So um, as we wrap this up, what do you think has been your one tool, if you could narrow it down to overcoming limits that you thought that you had? The um, A friend of mine named Chuck, I met him at an aid, I was volunteering at an aid station at a time when I was injured, and I met this gentleman named Chuck who was, uh, he's been running for a long time, and he told me uh, when I was, getting ready for Moab, he said, uh, he, he quoted, I think it's a Henry Ford quote. He said to me, um, if you think you can, or if you think you can't, you're right. Hmm. Uh, the idea that if you think you're going to be able to do it, you'll be able to do it. But if you think you can't do it, you're not going to do it. And so it kept me on the positive always of thinking, even when things were the roughest to keep a positive outlook and say, no, I can do this. Um, that positive outlook is something that I've really tried to focus on when things are hard. You know, when I'm making my video and I'm talking to the camera, I will try, even if it hurts, to smile, to be like, this sucks, but I'm having a great time and I'm blessed <laughs> to be here. Um, I, I've learned through that positivity that my body is, is capable of amazing things. You know, having finished Moab, you know, I learned that being able to move for so long to uh, overcome challenges, you know, we talked about a, in a half marathon, you have a bad day, you're over. In a 240-mile race, you have a bad day, no big deal. You got three more days coming. You live a, or you go through a lifetime of emotions. Exactly. <laughs> so I learned that it's what, you know, absent of an injury, our bodies are capable of anything. And we can go for a long time, but it just may, but it requires a mental outlook and a positivity um, to keep yourself motivated and to just keep moving. And it's all about just keeping on moving. And that, that life lesson there uh, of, from running, I try to apply in my real life too. And when life gets hard, you know, sometimes you're like, Oh, should I just give up now? You know, giving up life is a bit more uh, dramatic than giving up on a race, but I try to, I do get motivated to just keep going. So mm. it's that positivity in life. Actually, I learned that. I'm running and it's something that tries to motivate me every day. So good. Wes, it's been a, a pleasure. Where can people find you? Uh, if you uh, go to uh, westplate.com, that's my website. I just have a lot of my videos are linked there as well as my ultra marathon um, 
or my resume, I guess sometimes people call it. Uh, <laughs> so you can get links to my previous races and links to my videos at westplate.com. Um, my, uh, I think there's also a link to my Instagram. So it's probably the best place to go. I'm mid pack elite, um, on Instagram. If you search Westplate on YouTube, you'll find my channel, but all those links are all centrally located at westplate.com. Love it. Tyler, where can they find you? At the William Tyler on Instagram. You're not, you're not the William Tyler anymore. No, I'm not. I changed it because I thought it was a little, so the, what the is the ego it? was what way is too it big. Now? The William Tyler. There's plenty of other William Tylers. What did I change it to? It's like the, the W Tyler or something. The, yeah, W Tyler Ackerman. There it is. There we you go. You know better than I do, buddy. <laughs> uh, do, do you have any races coming up, Wes? At the end of this month, I'm running at the Javelina 100 uh, down in uh, the Phoenix area, down in Arizona. If you need a pacer, I got you. <laughs> All right. Uh, those first two miles, I, I got you. We, we're going to work this thing out. Tyler, you got anything coming up? 50K Ancient Lakes with uh, Elena in early November. That's your first 50K? Uh, her first 50K. Um We'll see how it goes yeah. with the with the COVID uh, restrictions. And you're supporting her. Uh, I I mean I haven't been able to train as much just with injuries. Um, so if I see her out there, I think I'm going to take a little bit more time and just kind of see how she's doing. I'm not trying to go full send uh, yeah. with it. Just kind of enjoy myself. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, good luck. Thank you. You too, man. Yeah. Great. As always, you guys can find us at Off the Leash Lifestyle on Instagram. Shout out to Patty. He's back in Chicago right now at a little tournament. But I know we got our ghost jerseys that are out now. They just came out. They're super fresh. Otherwise, you guys can find our apparel at primeapparel.com. And until next time, my friends, stay off the